you know, nanoseconds, they'd gone from like sailing this boat at 40, 45 knots to now they're over on their side in the water and there's a hole in the boat and it's starting to sink. Talk about a crisis, right? Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. What type of culture have you created? Does your culture provide the belief that you won't be punished when you make a mistake? Today, my guest is Steve Morse, and he started his career designing multi-million dollar racing yachts. That's pretty cool, right? And building and coaching up high-performing teams to help his clients win the world's most demanding races. He has run and grown a small business and then transitioned his career to become a certified project management professional, program manager, managing million-dollar budgets and helping the U.S. Navy launch ships into its fleet. Six years ago, he started his own business, Ketelator with a mission and passion to help business owners build better lives through building better businesses, getting unstuck, fueling growth, achieving more profit, and having more fun with their crew. He's a professional EOS implementer. Get this. He's certified in the Lego Serious Play Method. How cool is that? And teaches and facilitates and coaches individuals, leaders, and business leadership teams on their voyage to success. Now, our conversation today is around organizational culture, specifically around the theory of psychological safety. You can reach Steve at steve at C-A-T-Y-L-A-T-O-R dot com or through his website at www.catylator.com. Now, before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. Please subscribe to and share this podcast episode with a friend. I would greatly appreciate your support. Also, please visit my YouTube channel, The Accidental Accountant, where you can see this video episode and several past podcast interviews. And please, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm trying to get over 100 subscriptions so I can give it a specific URL name. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, 
Imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders, a story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in person and on site at your location, or at an off-site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Now, let's get to the interview with Steve Morris. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My guest today is Steve Morris. And God, Steve, we go back maybe a whole week or so. A week, yes. <laughs> yeah. We were introduced by a friend, Jeff Kozatek. Excuse me, Jeff. And Jeff thought that you make an excellent guest. We had a wonderful conversation last week, and I want to get right to the meat of our discussion. And excuse me real quick. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be on my podcast today. I'm so excited about this topic. I just bypassed my initial thank you to you. <laughs> no worries, Peter. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I mean, I really enjoy having these discussions and just getting more information out there into the world to help, to help people have a better life, better business. Perfect. And the topic at hand is something that I was introduced to maybe six, eight months ago when a colleague sent me this thing about psychological safety. And I went, oh, what is that, as Scooby would say? And the more I started reading about this, the more I equated it to the world of improv leadership. And mm. in our discussion, you've been talking about this working with your clients. My audience may not even understand what this is. So if you could go in that direction and describe what psychological safety is and how you discovered it, and we'll take that conversation from there. Yeah, well, sure. So... You know, I have to caveat that uh, I'm not an expert in this either, right? It's something that I've um, become aware of and done some research on it and, and bringing into, you know, I bring into the work that I do with my clients. And so where this came from was, you know, I'm, I'm working with leadership teams. Um, I'm helping teams figure out how to get better, more cohesive, more aligned to be able to have those conversations. And um, in the research that I was doing, I'd come across Google Project Aristotle. And so Google did this research on their high-performing teams. Who are the best teams that they had at Google? And how come those teams, you know, what were the characteristics of those particular teams that, that made them high-performing? And they, they found this one trait this one thing that really differentiated their top teams um, from the other teams. And that was this concept of psychological safety. Teams that were knocking the ball out of the ballpark had it, and, and the other teams didn't. And so what is psychological safety, right? So this is this, it's creating this atmosphere, this environment in the team where somebody 
feels safe to be able to put up their hand and say, hey, I don't know what's going on right now. Sorry, I didn't understand, you know, what we decided in the last meeting. Hey, I'm getting overwhelmed. I need some help. And they can do that without fear of being shamed or ridiculed or ostracized, you know, voted off the island, all of that stuff, right? Um, to, to be a, and, and so the team leads, you know, create this environment where people feel like they're able to put up their hand and ask for help. And I think it's just such a, you know, a key concept because I've worked in a lot of high-performing uh, teams that we've gone and done incredible things like designing multi-million dollar racing yachts. Um, some of those teams I can see where we had that environment. I didn't know what it was called then, but we had it. <laughs> and I also saw teams where we didn't have that and, you know, where we weren't able to achieve the results we wanted. So when I found out about this research, I'd finally, you know, I'd got some words put a name to, you know, the things that I had been experienced. And then I could bring that to my clients as well. And, and it's such a, I don't know, unique concept, but then I don't understand why it's so unique because my, in my mindset, this is how we all should be leading and, and provided a culture that you are not ridiculed for speaking your mind, unless it's something completely outrageous, offensive, whatever, but as it relates to your work, it relates to ideas, but it seems like that, that is almost think people are afraid to do that because the culture that has already been created within an organization. So in thinking about that with your clients, how do you get them to start thinking differently and start changing that culture to one of more that has a great deal of respect? Right. Well, I, I think, you know, it starts really with introducing the concept and pointing it out. Um, because I really feel like, you know, if I look at my experience and the work that I do with my clients, that, you know, sometimes people just, you know, behave in certain types of ways, right, that have come from the past, you know, the, the old way that, you know, business kind of used to be run. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you and I kind of joked about this in our first conversation, but that that T-shirt that, that you can go and buy in shops, you know, that says beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> well, that, you know, it's nice to have that as a joke, but it's no fun if you actually are experiencing that, right? Or some form of that. And, you know, I, I sort of feel like that was more of the type of environment 30 years ago in trying to run a business. It doesn't fly anymore these days, of course. It didn't fly then either. <laughs> so in, in sort of trying to introduce this subject, it's really about like just starting to notice like what people say. Um, and I've been tremendously interested in this from, you know, just these aspects of like creative work together. This concept of brainstorming, right? And, and these ideas of, you know, the sort of traditional brainstorming session where, Everybody's sitting around the table and there's one person at the front of the room and they've got control of the marker. Mm -hmm. right? And then somebody says, well, how about this idea? And why well, that's a silly idea. Who would do that? Right. And just, you know, shutting people down. And I, but I don't think people kind of really realize that that's what's going on in the conversation. Right. It's just sort of like baked into the environment. But when you start calling it out, and you start noticing it and you start saying that look at look out for these types of behaviors then people are like oh gee you know i can't believe i just sort of said that right and, and start changing their mindset around it 
Um, so it's, it's a progression. It can't happen overnight, but uh, it's a journey to go on for sure. Yeah. In the improv world, we, we, when you talk about brainstorm, we say you can't create and criticize in the same space. And I have a client that wanted me to do this brainstorming sessions, divergent thinking with his team. And hindsight being 2020, I needed to put more things in front of it before, they, before we got to that point in time. And, and the CEO was all in. Yeah, so basically, we were trying to answer ideas real quickly. Some were turning them into dissertations, and, and then we were getting. We've tried that before, and I just saw the oh, wheels come completely yes. off the car. And I, I went, okay. And, and I talked to the CEO after the fact. I said, I've learned a lot about, and I think you have too, about it's going to take a while, and we need more upfront earlier kind of adopted into it until we get them in the room. Yeah. Well, no, but I, so I think that's, you know, just having the experience and seeing like, oh, suddenly just, you know, this, this sentence came, came out into the room. Oh, you know, we can't do that. We've never done it before like that. We always do it the old way, you know, whatever. And then, you know, just to see, you know, people's feelings and reactions from that. They're like, okay, got it. All right. Well, I'm just gonna like bottle it up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not gonna say anything more. Fold the arms, <laughs> lean back, yeah. and they're done. You know. But so if you can just say, "Oh, did you see what happened right then? Did you notice that?" So we need to do things a little differently. And how about instead of saying that, we do the improv thing, which is yes and right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. And you're right on spot. <laughs> yeah. But it's changing. I mean, I, I did a creativity workshop for a CPA firm, but the managing partner was in the firm, was in the, the room with everybody. And I asked them for crazy ideas. They barely even gave me the ideas. So I had to talk to the, the managing partner. I kind of called a quick break at every other room and said, you know what's happening? They're not saying anything because you're sitting here. They're afraid to. So we got one or two things we can do. Either you give me the craziest idea when everybody comes back, or and I kind of hesitate, or I would like to say that you would get something else to do and you'd leave the meeting. So they can, you, this is why you hired me and you're stifling them. Hmm. And I got a real hurt look at first, but then they understood. And I said, So which one is it? He goes, I'll leave. And it was getting up. I said, No, 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 I'm going to take care of it. So everybody came back, set the tone. I said, He wanted to see it. He's got things to do. We're going to have a conversation. And as soon as he left the room, all of a sudden it became filled with oxygen. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, but we see that all the time. And we, want, we ask people for their thoughts and ideas. But if they don't align to what we're thinking, you'd deem the crazy one. Yeah. So one of the techniques that I use with teams that I'm working with is part of the Lego serious play methodology. So this has been something, of course, I haven't done a lot in the last year because of COVID um, and things, but there's a whole methodology around getting a group of people to have, you know, creative experience together. And we've, you know, we there's a lot in the setup for this, right? And it's these things like, uh, and I often get clients saying, well, you know, can I just sit in the back of the room and watch? And it's like, no, you're either at the table participating and being part of this or you're not in the room. You're either a participant or you're leading the, you know, you're, you're me and you're leading the, 
the facilitation. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing, because you could, you have to create the psychologically safe environment for people to talk. And then the second thing we do is, as part of the whole methodology, is we level the playing field. So for the people around the table, it doesn't matter what their title is. I take them through a very set sequence that levels the playing field and allows everybody to see that their voice um, is equ equally valid, um, able to you know talk about their ideas, and everyone's going to listen. Um, so we make sure that no one grabs more airtime than somebody else. And the really cool thing about the particular methodology is so people are taking their ideas and they're building models of them. And then these models are metaphors for their ideas. And you can't be wrong about that. If you say, you know, whatever this model represents to me, well, no one can say, you know, you're wrong because that is the truth. This is what this model represents to me. Um, and then it really creates this environment where people feel safe to now start talking about, you know, really what's going on inside. Um, so I, I love I love working with teams um, and taking them on that sort of a journey. You can imagine that when you're going through this process of setting, leveling the playing field, ego gets in the way. How do you manage that with someone with that ego issue? You know, I haven't had to deal with ego as much as just sort of like the resistance of of sort of coming into the room and wanting to participate. And so I do remember this one workshop I did where one individual sort of came into the room, clearly was sort of not in a great mood, kind of sort of sat down, you know, crossed the arms, sort of was looking a little bit puzzled at this activity that we're about to do. We just proceeded ahead, right? And it's sort of like I have faith in the process. We go through the process. And this particular the individual just, you know, started engaging in it and um, ended up building a, a model that was fairly unusual. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. But what came out of it when when it came time for them to tell the story about their model was this incredible story came out from inside them about, you know, the fact that they, they were nearing retirement and they really cared, you know, they'd been in this position for for many years, they cared about their organization. They were worried about being able to transfer their knowledge and to have it um, continue in the organization. They wanted to teach people everything that they knew. This whole story came out. Everybody was kind of like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> where did this come from? You know, because of being, all of this suddenly got turned into, you know, instead of this resistance, it was actually I want to give. But they had to sort of work through that feeling like maybe they weren't feeling it was safe to be able to say that they wanted to give, but this taking them through the methodology allowed them and, you know, creating the environment, right. Creating the environment for psychological safety allowed them to talk about their story and everybody was blown away. I just love that. So when you ask them that they're going to take, we're going to brainstorm, they're going to, what type of prompt do you give them? So they, can build their model? Well, open-ended questions. <laughs> That's always the thing. So it might be, you know, what does a good day look like in your office, right? And so that's something that doesn't have a right or a wrong answer to it. You can't just say yes or no to that. 
so people can now start describing, you know, what what does a good day look like? You know, we when we go on a particular journey too that starts with the individual, always start with the individual, and then you work to the team, and then you work to the environment. Um, so you're sort of building from the center out, uh, working with a group. And so the progression of questions will be going along those things like, you know, what tell us something about your identity. Tell us about um, your team. How do you see your uh, team's identity? Um, where do you see your team fitting into the organization? So we're sort of always moving along a, a progression like that. Um, but it's it's definitely... You know, open-ended questions and nothing that can be answered by yes or no. <laughs> okay, I want to get a feel or, or an idea of, of those questions. I, first, I thought it was a question around how can you make your job a little bit better or, or that. But I, I like the aspect of what does a good day look like? And then taking it from almost like Simon said, you can start with the why, then you come all the way back out. Yeah, and we can even go negative sometimes too. In a way, it'd be like so. Describe a nightmare boss. <laughs> all right, let's put it all out there. <laughs> and does the team just automatically go look at the boss and just go, "I'd rather not answer that one right now," because <laughs> I'm creating a psychologically safe environment so people can build it into the model and say, "That's what I think a nightmare boss, you know, exhibits." And no pointing fingers around the table, <laughs> just looking at the model. So that I mean. As much as I'm so fascinated by it, I'm sitting here thinking about the application, the buy-in, and in an environment that probably grew up around something just the opposite. And that goes back. So I, I guess the, the one of the questions, because you work with these teams and within these organizations, and you were part of a huge team building these multi-million dollar, billion dollar racing yachts. And we had talked about that psychological safety was not used that terminology but we both experienced maybe an environment similar to that and also one that's just the opposite mm. how do you sell this to the ceo when you're pitching them the idea that this is something that will help their business well number one is point to google right <laughs> <laughs> well that's uh... Well said. Yeah. <laughs> point to the point to the research. Like, where did it come from? And and Google isn't the only people who have been doing this research, right? There's um, Professor Amy Edmondson. I think if I've got her name right, has been doing research on this, and and she's done a TED talk about it. But point to the research is the first thing, and and you know, it's sort of always like, why are we having the conversation with the CEO in the first place? You know, you're. The CEO has a goal, has vision for, you know, where they're trying to take the business and perhaps they might be feeling a little stuck. Maybe they might be feeling challenged. Maybe they're trying to figure out like, how can we get our team to come along and, and to be a part of the vision? And there's a lot of different components about, you know, depending on how that conversation goes as to, you know, what tool I might pull out of my toolbox and say, this is, you know, something that I think that we can use to address, you know, where you're trying to get to with your team. I'm reading this book right now. Somebody turned me on to it. And the title of the book is a CEO only does three things. Okay. <laughs> and, and the three things are in this order, culture, the people, and the numbers. And number one is the culture. And it, when I 
read this, and actually it's one of the quotes that's in the book from Peter Drucker, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yep. Without the right culture in place, nothing work. Right. Yeah, and, well, mm-hmm. I, I, I certainly, you know, saw that with, you know, some of the very high performing teams that I was working with and have worked with and are working with now is just when you create that right environment, then people are able to excel, right? People are able to come and reach their full potential in the team. And it's, you know, that's not all serious either. Like we can have a little bit of fun with it, like, you know, to, to be able to smile and things and joke around and, you know, just to really be able to to get to that point where now everybody's like really able to wholeheartedly bring their best to the team. And, but, you know, these things go hand in hand as well. And this is what we work on with the entrepreneurial operating system with EOS uh, that I, you know, is a simple system of tools that I'm bringing to business owners and business leadership teams to help them get what they want from their business. But we work on these very specific things of getting the right people into the organization, doing the right things and creating the environment around, you know, the core values of the organization and the focus of the organization. So all of that can go together. You know, we, I work with my clients to help them be able to articulate and talk about their vision for the organization, but you know, you can't bring a great vision to reality if you don't have great people in the organization. And I think the key thing that we work on with our clients is the great people unique to each organization. They're unique to the culture, right? So the culture um, is, you know, establishing the environment in the organization. And then we get the right people to come and fit that culture like a glove. Mm-hmm. But we do talk about you know, using the core values of the organization to be able to identify, you know, who are some people who, you know, they might be rock stars, they might be meeting their numbers, they might be knocking the ball out of the ballpark, but they just don't fit the culture of the organization. Um, and I'm sure you've probably worked with people like this. You know, I've I've encountered them in, in my career as well. And, you know, the cynical outlook, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning, or they're the, you know, people who are looking at organizational change and figuring out, well, I'll just, I'll just stay under the radar and, you know, this will change and I'm not going to buy into this. And people who are sort of snipping away around the edges, um, you know, those, that sort of mindset doesn't help um, an organization, you know, reach where it needs to. And you've got to be able to figure out who those people are who aren't on board with what your culture is. And, um, Find something else for them to do. <laughs> As you're telling that story, I, I reflected back to a colleague shared the story that and she was an HR person on how they flipped the hiring process. So they, they the senior management team would get together and they got clear vision on what the, the mission statement, the vision statement, the core values and core competencies of the organization is. They put it up on the website. And when somebody would apply for a job, the first thing they had to do was go to the website, understand it and see if they fit in that culture. And then there was a phone interview. So Steve, tell me how, after spending time on the website, how do you see yourself fitting into our culture? Right. If they couldn't articulate it, or then there was no second interview. Yep. And then those who could and had that vision, then they'd bring them in for another interview and still talk about the culture, the vision stuff to make sure that they weren't just 
telling them what they thought we wanted to hear. And by the time they hired that person, it may take a little bit of time, but the, what's the word I'm looking for? There was very little turnover from those individuals who went through that process, where before, here, fill out this application, da 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 da, da you hired, which, and, and those people would, would, would leave the organization sooner than, than anything else. So it's like, right. we, have to, we have to think about, it. if we're gonna put this psychological safety in place, We've got to flip the switch on a lot of the, on how we hire those people. Absolutely, yeah, and so we—that's a very specific thing that we work on in the entrepreneurial operating system—is defining what your core values are, and then using them in the hiring and the review process to make sure that you're attracting the people you want in your business and repelling the people that you don't want. Right? It becomes a litmus test. Um, so it's a very important thing, and I I love this because I. Like, you know, there's, there's one team that I worked with that really sort of stands out in my mind that, you know, how they built their team very deliberately, very intentionally, each new person coming onto the team, making sure that they fit the, the culture of the organization. And when I went and worked with that team, it was, it was just like there was a different atmosphere, right? It was just like everybody's organized. They, they know what they're doing. Their roles are sorted out. They have clarity around what they were doing. Um, and then particularly, this was a, a sailing team. So, you know, they weren't arguing about who's going to pull this rope and, and, you know, just sort of internal things on the boat. Having that coordination, that clarity, that, that cohesion in the team freed up their energy that allowed them to now look up and out of the boat. And now everybody had the energy to be much more strategic to be looking out at, you know, what's the competition doing? What's the environment doing? You know, where are we? What's happening next? And having that sort of strategic discussion. Uh, and it just, you know, the, the team was just operating at a higher level because of really creating the right culture, the right cohesion there. And when you, when you perform it at that high level, it's almost like, I, I've, and I've witnessed this, that communication Verbal communication is not always necessary. The one's body language. I mean, I, I've, I've been married, my wife, 25 years. I've known her 27 years. We can have a conversation across the room and not say a word. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, but, but that, that takes time. Mm -hmm. But those high performance, and, and in the improv, we call that the group mind. Well, I don't. I know what everybody else is doing and what they're supposed to be doing. And they don't have to instruct them. They, they equate that back to the Chicago Bears when they won the, won the Super Bowl, that, that cohesiveness of that team where everybody knew and they could just communicate in, with body language. Uh, do you see the same thing in these high-performing teams that you're working with that when they get to that point? It sounded like on, on that racing yacht that they were experiencing that. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's unfortunately rarer than you would hope but i you know it's because it's sometimes hard i mean things like this do take time to um, get into place um, and some of these teams you know they would sort of be brought together for a very specific goal they would achieve that goal and then they would they would disperse but um you know one thing that comes to mind you know when talking about the improv world so i, I used to watch this program on tv called whose line is it anyway I've heard of it. you've heard of that yeah <laughs> So the English version, right? The, the original British yeah. version. And um, just sort of, I always used to marvel, right, at the, 
people, I don't know what you call them, the improv artists, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they all sort of work together, right, on that show sort of week after week after week, but just the incredible degree of cohesion on something that was incredibly spontaneous at the same time, but they were able just to, those magic, right? They were just able to build and build and build on top of each other and create these incredible scenes and stories out of nothing, right? It, it, it's, I'm glad you say that. It's like, you know, but what, what a lot of people, when they think of the, the improv world, we just make stuff up, which is complete opposite. We don't, you know, and I, I was trying to describe, I said, an improv troupe, they practice. They go, why do they practice? Because they want to make sure that they understand, they want to build that team cohesion. And when we're in, in some of these exercises, there are some boundaries around. So when we're doing it live and somebody throws me that curveball that I'm not expecting, I probably either dealt with it or had curveballs throw me at, at me at practice so I can handle it, process it, and then respond to it without freaking out about it. Right. And, and, it's, and it goes to just being prepared. Yeah. That brings me to, you know, there's a saying that I love using with, with my clients, which actually comes from the U.S. Navy SEALs. And they talk about, you know, you never rise to the occasion. You always sink to the level of your training. But that's why we train hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right? You know, when the stress hits, and, you know, this is, takes me into, you know, I'm using that in the context of working with leadership teams and talking about stress. Right? And so this is this, you know, things happen, right? The things are coming at leaders all the time, every single day. Um, issues coming up in the business and things can trigger people, right? And when they, when you get triggered, when you sort of go into the, you know, fight or flight or freeze mode, you know, your brain shuts down, the, the cognitive thinking shuts down. I just find this sort of fascinating, all these different, different layers of it. And there was some research that was done on college athletes and, and found that, you know, when they're really full of adrenaline, right out on the field, actually, that their cognitive processing ability goes down. So you put all of these things together and realize that when I'm triggered, <laughs> I don't make good decisions. I can't even think my way through a problem and I don't say, you know, and I don't say the right things. So you train, you widen your window of tolerance, and which is exactly what you're talking about, you know, with the improv teams. And it's what I've seen, you know, working with the teams that I work with. Train, 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 so that, you know, when stuff comes up, it stays within your window of tolerance and it doesn't trigger you. When you can maintain that window of tolerance, then, you know, you stay online. <laughs> Central processing facility stays online and you can respond. You can think through something and come at it from a, you know, rational point of view and to be able to respond. And there's only... You know, as far as I know, there's only one way you can get to that point, and that's training, right? Keep on widening your window and dealing with these things. I do believe it was the assault on Osama bin Laden when they captured him. I think it was the Navy SEALs, and they trained, 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 just like it widened it. And when the assault began, one of the helicopters crashed. Well, they didn't plan for that. I mean, that wasn't part of their training, but because of their training, they were able to adapt a new strategy in order to achieve the ultimate goal if without that that training that that with there 
who knows what have happened right yeah but they but they were prepared for anything that came about because no plan few plans are fully executed without any hiccups or errors or something and how do you adapt to the to, okay this is reality now what what do we still need to do within the organization to achieve this goal Right. So you're sort of about, you know, having all of those processes together within the team to be able to respond when things are coming up. And, you know, in sailing, this happens all the time. You're out there, you know, the, the mast falls down, something breaks. You know, there's um, the recent America's Cup, which was just held down in, in Auckland, New Zealand in, in March of this year, um, the American Challenger in one of the, the races, they, they came around the top mark, they jibed and a rope got caught and they got hit by a gust of wind at the same time. And the whole boat, you know, was sort of pushed up out of the water and flipped and capsized and they got a hole in it. Right. And so within, you know, nanoseconds, they'd gone from like sailing this boat at 40, 45 knots to now they're over on their side in the water and there's a hole in the boat and it's starting to sink. Talk about a crisis, right? But, you know, to have the team be able to come around and figure out, well, what, you know, we've just got to deal with us. We've got to deal with what's in front of us right now. You know, make sure everybody's safe. Everybody okay? Good. Now let's start dealing with the boat. You know, let's get something on there to stop the boat sinking. And then everybody sort of rallied around. And, and this is... You know, it was an unusual story for the America's Cup, but in my experience in sailing and, and in so many other things, you know, this is what life's like. You know, clients say, well, everything's, you know, been going great. And then, oh, my gosh, like, you know, our major account, they've just been acquired by somebody else. And now we've lost 50% of our business. Now what are we going to do? I mean, if you're in a position where you're, ending up getting triggered by that, then you don't, you know, you can't operate out of the best place to be able to now make a rational plan to go forward. Yeah, I like to say that um, the collective knowledge outside your office far exceeds the collective knowledge inside your office. <laughs> and in, in a situation like that, you better get your people around you, get your team around you and try to figure something out versus you trying to figure out yourself. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, you, you talk about mindset, right, and changing mindset. And I, I'm really big on this with, with the teams that I work with as well. Um, and I do it for myself. Like, I'm constantly reading, you know, philosophy. Like, you know, talking. I'm reading the book at the moment called um, The Lives of the Stoics by Brian Holiday. And it's just fascinating. You know, it's all about sort of ancient Greek and, and Roman history, um, and, you know, people who have operated in this sort of sphere of philosophy and, and politics and, you know, having to deal with, you know, Seneca was one of the great Stoics, um, but he was trying to help Nero, you know, the, the emperor of Rome, who was completely unstable and capricious and, and ended up, you know, just doing a, little, <laughs> a bunch of really evil things. And so, you know, they, they just never knew from one moment to the next, am I in today or am I condemned today? You know, am I, am I coming to the Imperial Court or have I been exiled? And, um, but it's the part of the philosophy is about the mindset of just being able to, well, 
I'm here to do the best good I can with each day. You know, fate's going to deal whatever fate deals to me today. Um, and I've just got to make the best of it. And I've got to do that, you know, while maintaining my head and being calm and, and, and acting for the greater good um, and to be able to, to move things forward. And I just think it's very helpful to work with teams around these sorts of mindsets. Like there's, there's actually, um, there are frameworks there's processes, there are systems that you can use to be able to deal with issues out there. And the more that you put those in place and the more you train with them, better off you're going to be being able to deal with the crisis when it comes up. Yeah, you talk about crisis and teams and stuff. And, and the one thing the world of improv has taught me is to focus on the things I have control over, not the things I don't. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how many of us, I'm guilty of this too, you should get focused on the wrong thing. I'm focused on why has management made this decision? Well, that decision has been made. I, I have no, they didn't ask me for my input. So either I accept it or I'll go find another job. Easy as that. But there's so many people who get so focused on things they absolutely have no control over that creates the stress. And it's stress within the team versus let's just focus on what we have control on and shut everything else out that we don't have control. We'll figure this out 10 times quicker versus focusing on the wrong things. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it's the, the number of things that you have control over that, you know, that, that can become a fairly small sphere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and ultimately, I mean, it's sort of like when you really sort of drill it down, the things that you really only have control over are, you know, what's going on in your head and your reaction to events. And one of the things that I've been working on, certainly in the last year, you know, with COVID and the pandemic and the effect that it's had on business and things is just, well, you know, this, this, what the things that I have control over is sort of like this ever shrinking world and it, and ultimately it sort of comes down to some of these practices that I engage in which is the one thing that I actually can really have control over is my breath yeah and you know when things start you know if I, if I get triggered by something what I know and what I train is that I can come back to my breath here and I can just take a breath in and I can feel it coming into my nostrils and I can take a breath out. Okay, and now I can do it again. And it's, you know, to tell another US Navy SEALs story, I mean, I read about um, going to their, their training for Hell Week, um, you know, which is a part of like the first week of training that they've got to get through. They don't sleep for an entire week. They're in the freezing cold of the Pacific Ocean. They're carrying boats. They're doing push-ups and sit-ups and endlessly for, for a week. And from what I've read, um, what I've what they've learned is that the people who survive and get through to the end of that training, they bring their event horizon closer and closer and closer to themselves for the things that they control. And ultimately, so instead of sort of like worrying that, oh my gosh, it's, you know, like I'm six hours into this one week thing, I'm already tired and freezing cold. How am I going to make it for the next week? 
If you have that mindset, apparently you don't tend to make it. But the people who are able to bring it in and get to this point of, all I got to do is one more push up. And if that's too, you know, overwhelming for me to actually think about, all I got to do is take another breath. Okay, now, okay, I did that. Good. Now I'm going to take another breath. Um, and so they really bring it. That's the thing that you can control. You keep on bringing it closer and closer to you. I think it's a fascinating concept. Um, and I love reading about it and thinking about how I can apply those sort of principles into my own life and then bring it to my clients. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I, when I coach people on when they're doing presentations and they begin to panic, I go, you become a shallow breather mm. and you're not getting enough oxygen into your brain. Take a moment or two, take a couple of deep breaths kind of relax your body, it will come back to you. But that, that same, it, it's really all comes down to just how well do we breathe under stress? Under stress, yes. Under stress. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, see, we could, I, I literally could talk another hour with you because uh, about four other things popped into my mind, but I, <laughs> but I want to respect, respect your time. And we will have, we will continue this conversation in the coming months because I, I, I'm fascinated by it. I was thinking about trying to shake it up and do something a little bit different towards the end of the podcast with my guests and say, so what book are you reading? I already know what it is. You yeah. know, you've, you you've already shared it. I can't thank you enough for taking time. I, 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 it's been a pleasure meeting you, having two conversations. We will stay in contact. And thank you for sharing your thoughts. I mean, it's spot on. And for those of you who this, this podcast episode has resonated with, how can they find you, Steve? Well, thanks, Peter. I mean, yes, it's been an incredible discussion. So I'm available on the web at um, catalator.com, which is my business. That's C-A-T-Y-L-A-T-O-R. It came from Catalyst and Incubator, which is you know creating a reaction and helping that go in a business. Um, I'm a you can, people can email me at steve at catalator.com. And I just you know, get up out of bed every morning, just motivated and loving, helping people get to a better place with their lives and their business. Business should be fun, right? And I believe that creating great businesses is about, you know, they, they're the foundation of great communities and who, who doesn't want to live in a great community, right? So there's tools and techniques. I'm a systems guy that I can get businesses to a better place with uh, applying them. And I just love doing it and love the client's reactions, feeling clarity, feeling relief, feeling wonderful that they've got a plan in place, feeling exhilarated because they know where they're going now. Awesome stuff. God, I wish you put a little passion in that, Steve. That's awesome. <laughs> For those of you, because you can't see his face right now, as he was describing this last time, his eyes just kind of got bigger, and there's a big sparkle in them, and, and, and he started smiling even more. It's like the man believes in what he does, and that is that is outstanding. So, thank you so very much. It's, it's been it's been a pleasure, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Yeah, let's do it. Round two. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> I want to thank Steve for his time in discussing how he helps organizations adopt the concept of psychological safety. I will conclude this episode with an improv quote that's fitting for this interview. There are no mistakes, only gifts and happy accidents. Stay safe. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.